Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lance, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people and how to apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. Learn more about the program and our ministry when you visit walkintruth.com. Now, here's Pastor Michael's teaching in Matthew 8, 28-34, called The King's Power Over Darkness. Glad that you're here. We're in the book of Matthew today, The King's Power Over Darkness. We're going to read the account of the demon-possessed men at Gadara. Uh, Matthew chapter 8, we're beginning in verse 28. If you're physically able, stand with us for the reading of God's mighty word, the king's power over darkness, Matthew 8, 28 through 34 is the section before us today. When Jesus came to the other side into the country of the Gadarenes, two men who were demon-possessed met him as they were coming out of the tombs. They were so extremely violent that no one could pass by that way. And they cried out, Matthew 8, 29, saying, What business do we have with each other, son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now there was a herd of many swine feeding at a distance from them. The demons began to entreat him, saying, If you're going to cast us out, send us into the herd of swine. He said to them, Go. And they came out and went into the swine, and the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and perished in the waters. The herdsmen ran away, 33, and went into the city and reported everything, including what had happened to the demoniacs. And behold, the whole city, 34, came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they implored him to leave their region. You can have a seat. Father, as we consider the text before us, we now move into the realm of the demonic, of spiritual oppression and possession. It's a foreign territory to many in the West. Perhaps some of us have experienced some of it or dabbled in the occult or maybe even had a taste of the darkness. And if we have, Lord, we know the scary power that can lie there. And yet we know greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. We know that you are the mighty conqueror. Our victory is in Christ. Your victory is ours, Lord. We are more than conquerors. And so we, we take great uh, peace in that for our souls. But we realize there's a spiritual dimension to life and a dark dimension that may explain more than we give credit for. And we need biblical balance here and we need to see what the text would say to us, Lord. But I pray that maybe one of the biggest things that we would see is your heart for people who are in bondage, your heart for those who are in chains, spiritually speaking. And I pray, Lord, that whatever you want to be heard today would come from your word. We'd have ears to hear. It would be taught accurately and it would be responded to in a way that pleases our King. In Christ's name I pray, if you agree, would you say? Amen. The King's power over darkness. This particular uh, topic or story is told in all three synoptic gospels. When I say synoptic, I mean Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They're called the synoptic gospels because they're very close in content, not exact, but you'll find many of the stories in all three synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Matthew's account of this story is very much 
abridged or truncated. The question is why. Mark, for example, explores much more about the personality of one man, as does Luke. Much more detail, much more description in the story. Matthew kind of gets right to the point. And I think one of Matthew's biggest themes is the, you, he wants you to see the power of Christ and answer the question, who is this man that even the wind and the waves obey him? So that'll be before us in this particular account. One thing I want to mention from the outset is that there is a variation in the two stories. Matthew says there were two men. Luke, Mark and Luke say there was one or at least focus more on the one. They don't talk about two. Scholars typically will say that the solution to the difference is something like this. If we were to see an accident at an intersection, for example, and hopefully it wouldn't be anything serious, and we had four or five eyewitness accounts of the same accident, we would probably get different layers of what occurred by interviewing each eyewitness. It may not be exactly the same emphasis. One might emphasize one car or one person above another, but we'd be able to kind of sketch in the canvas by the various eyewitness accounts. Here's another example. I stole this from another teacher, but let's say that I described to you a Hawaiian vacation that I went on, and Hawaii sounds like a pretty good place to tell a story about. I haven't been there before, but let's just say I said to you, we stayed in this hotel, we had a rental car, and it looked like this, and I gave you some details about where we ate and what I did, etc. and maybe I was just focusing on myself. And then later, one of the family members who happened to be on the vacation said, oh, I was there too. Didn't he mention that I was there? And the response might be conveniently, no, he left you out. <laughs> I don't even know what to do with that other than just to say this is an illustration. So when stories are told, sometimes there can be variations, but it's not a contradiction. It is complementary. It seems that Mark and Luke are focusing more on the one man, the more dominant man, the one who seems to be the focal point of the story, and even the man that eventually says he wants to go with Jesus, where Matthew brings up that there were two there. We all know uh, basically that wherever there's two, there's one. So that it's not a contradiction, but I will say it's worth wrestling with in terms of just when people might have questions about these particular things. Now, leading up to this account is a story of a storm we looked at last Sunday. It was a storm on the Sea of Galilee. It was so radical, so scary that it scared to death experienced fishermen, at least some of them were, who had fished that lake their whole lives. And so we mentioned last week that some of the language, like, uh, for example, Matthew uses the word seismos, where we get seismology, and he paints the picture that the sea was literally quaking. And one writer said, you can almost imagine the enemy shaking the ocean to uh, you know, try to thwart the Son of God coming to the other side of the sea. And that's what Jesus said was going to happen. Get in the boat. We're going to go to the other side of the lake. Uh, another word that's used by another gospel writer is the idea of hurricane force winds. So strong that the winds were, the waves were crashing over the boat. And the whole time Jesus was asleep. And we filled in some gaps like this. The disciples had to be thinking, how could one sleep at a time like this? And eventually they woke him up and with a word, he calmed the sea. 
There's an interesting word I want you to see here as we go back just to set the context a little bit. Look at verse 24. Behold, there arose a great storm on the sea so that the boat was being covered with the waves. Jesus himself was asleep, 25. They came to him and woke him saying, save us, Lord, we are perishing. He said to them, why are you afraid, you men of little faith? Then he got up, keyword, and rebuked the winds and the sea, and it became perfectly calm. And the men were amazed, and they said, what kind of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? Now, we know that Jesus Christ is the God-man, but we read some Old Testament accounts like Psalm 107, for example, where only the Lord can control the sea. He can, he's the one who can say to the ocean, this far and you can no, go no farther. He's the one that can speak to his creation and the creation will obey. And this certainly makes a case that Jesus is God. But as the storm winds blew and the waves crashed on the boat, the disciples did something very human. I don't think we would do much better at all. They were afraid. They were fearful. They wondered if they were going to die. And they woke him up. And it had to be kind of a humbling experience, as we mentioned last week, for fishermen to wake up a carpenter to get help on the ocean. And their words in verse 25, I want you to see, they're very important for our story this morning. They said, save us, Lord. We are perishing. I believe it's Mark's version says, don't you care that we are perishing and we explored a psalm, I think it was Psalm 44, that asked the question from the psalmist, Lord, why do you sleep? Well, why does it seem as if you sleep? Now, commentators point out that the word rebuke there, that Jesus rebuked the winds and the waves, is a bit unusual. He said, hush to them, shh, and they were calm, but he rebuked them. That word is used in other gospel uh, narratives for the rebuke of a demonic spirit. Come out of the man and the spirit, the unclean spirit would come out. It's the word to rebuke a spirit. And this is why many scholars believe that the storm on the Sea of Galilee is devilish in origin. There's something dark about it. There's something sinister about it. And some have conjectured that it may well be that Satan knew that Jesus was going to come and deliver two of his most usable, you know, uh, people, if you will, who he had total control over, who scared the whole region, may well be that. But as I was studying this week, there's some things that hit me, and I want to throw out to you. These are things that I believe that the Lord just spoke to my heart, and I want to put them before you. I believe on the other side of the sea were men that were saying something like this, Lord, save me. Lord, don't you care that I'm perishing? Lord, are you asleep? Lord, I feel like I'm being destroyed. The area of demonic possession for some of you who are new to Christianity might be a bit strange, but some of you have been around long enough to know that there have been all these movies that have come out to try to depict demonic possession. One of them, way back in the day, I think it was in the 70s, was the first Exorcist movie written by Raymond Blatty. Blatty took uh, the combined uh, journals of priests and perhaps even pastors 
And he took all these uh, magnificent manifestations, if you will, magnificent in a dark way, and combined them in one film. You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. Pastor Michael invites you to watch our recent A Step Closer series with guest speaker Red Pen Logic's Tim Barnett. Believe it or not, if you have doubts and questions about your Christian faith, you're not alone. The recent deconstruction movement phenomenon has a number of Christians rethinking what parts of the Bible they identify with. But is the movement simply about having doubts? If deconstruction is just about asking questions, I'm just asking questions, I'm, I'm going through some doubts, then declaring war on it would be wrong and actually unbiblical. But if deconstruction is about leading people away from historic Christianity, then declaring war on it is completely appropriate and biblical. Pastor Michael invites you to watch our recent A Step Closer series with guest speaker Red Pen Logic's Tim Barnett. Download the free Walk in Truth app available in your app store today. You can also listen to the first part of this conversation when you listen to Walk in Truth on your favorite podcast app. We'd love to see who's listening, so please connect with us on Facebook or Instagram. Just do a search for Walk in Truth Show. Now, back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walk in Truth. We're men that were saying something like this, Lord, save me. Lord, don't you care that I'm perishing? Lord, are you asleep? Lord, I feel like I'm being destroyed. The area of demonic possession for some of you who are new to Christianity might be a bit strange, but some of you have been around long enough to know that there have been all these movies that have come out to try to depict demonic possession. One of them, way back in the day, I think it was in the 70s, was the first Exorcist movie written by Raymond Blatty. Blatty took uh, the combined uh, journals of priests and perhaps even pastors And he took all these uh, magnificent manifestations, if you will, magnificent in a dark way, and combined them in one film. In the original story, it wasn't a girl that was possessed. It was a boy. It wasn't a girl named Reagan. But the, the situation was mom was dabbling in some occultic kind of stuff with seances and Ouija boards and that kind of thing. And the kid ended up being possessed as a result. And Dr. Martin, who was my hero, who went home to be with the Lord in the 80s, wrote the book, The Kingdom of the Cults. And when The Exorcist had come out, he said he went to the movie theater and he was going to watch the movie and kind of just do some research on it. He said a big strapping fellow sat right in front of him, big muscular guy, sat down. He said, okay, I'm here. Now scare the hell out of me. And that's kind of how people, and by the way, hell is a biblical term, just so you know, depending on the context, of course, but But that's kind of, that movie was one of the first in the genre. And one of the scenes in that movie that among many scary scenes, at least for the time, was on Reagan's belly, the words, help me, were etched in her stomach. It was, it was a, like a bizarre scene. And here's what I want you to see. And I believe that we're on some solid ground here. I believe that there were two men on the other side of the lake that were saying what the apostles were saying in a different kind of storm. Lord, help me. Don't you see that I'm perishing? Save me. 
And I believe that anybody who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. Luke 19, verse 10. He came, we often say, on a rescue mission. Why would he leave the huge crowds in Capernaum and go to the pagan area? At least it was co-mingled with pagans and Jews. Why would he leave so much success, if you will, to cross over to that area, that dark area? Because I believe, this is my personal take, that two men, perhaps especially one man on the other side of the sea, was crying out to God. Now, that area on the other side of the sea was known as the Decapolis. I mentioned this last Sunday. It was known as the the 10 cities, very Hellenistic, humanistic. That is, it was dominated by Greek thought and culture, kind of independent cities. And the sacred animal on the other side of the sea or the lake was the pig. Pigs are going to be prominent in this particular story. 2,000 pigs, in fact, we're going to see in the account. And there are scholars who believe that the two demon-possessed men might have been Jewish. And even the owners of the swine may have been compromised Jews. So it wouldn't matter whether you were Jew or Gentile, but imagine if the two demon-possessed men go and live on the other side of the lake, open up their life to spiritual darkness and become possessed. And imagine, they say in demon possession cases, depending on the severity, people have frequent lucid moments where they are themselves. They can act very much normal and natural. And as layers of possession progress, they lose more and more control of themselves. Imagine in the more lucid moments on the other side of the sea among the tombs, these men, or at least one of them was crying out, oh God, I don't know what has happened to me. Oh God, if you can hear my prayer, save me. I think that we can make that connection between the storm and the language that the disciples use and those on the other side of the sea. If you turn to the book of Acts for a moment, I want to show you a parallel account that hit me this week as I was studying Acts chapter 16, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts chapter 16. And I'm going to show you something that happened in in a city called Philippi. Acts chapter 16. We're actually studying this in our men's Bible study on Thursday mornings. It happens right here in the office, 9 a.m. We usually have about 15 to 20 guys in the office studying the Word of God. We're moving through the book of Acts. On Friday mornings, if you're a guy and you want to get more plugged into a discipleship Bible study, we meet at 7.30. We're going through the book of Revelation right here in the office. And on Tuesday mornings, they meet at um, Corky's right off Cahalco, and they're studying the book of Romans. And they start at 7 a.m. So this is all on the church app. But if you want to get to know some guys and be part of a Bible study, that would be really good. In the book of Acts, chapter 16, we have the story of three transformations. One is Lydia, a businesswoman of the time. One is a servant girl who happens to be demon-possessed. And the third story of transformation is the Philippian jailer, that famous story. Pick up the text with me in Acts 16. We pick it up at verse 6. They passed through the Phrygian and Galatian region, Luke writing the book of Acts, and he's with the team at this point, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. When they had come to Mysia, they were trying to go into Bithynia, 
And the spirit of Jesus, notice now for the second time, did not permit them to go in these certain regions. I don't know how that happened, how they got the word, but they were forbidden or not permitted. And they were passing by Mysia and they came down to Troas. Verse 9, chapter 16. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A certain man of Macedonia was standing and appealing to him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. This was a vision that Paul got. And note the words, come over here, please, and help us. I, I, I see in here a parallel to our story before us. And when he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Therefore, putting out to sea, notice once again we have the sea. From Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, and on the day following to Neapolis. From there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony. We were staying in this city for some days. And it happened that as we were going to the place of prayer, a certain slave girl having a spirit of divination met us. Literally, this is a python spirit. This girl was possessed, and she had some uh, rare gifts, you could say. She had the ability to fortune tell. And when, you, when a person goes to a fortune teller, and let me just say to you, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have no business ever going to anybody like this. A medium, a seance, uh, seeking out someone to read your palm, all of that stuff is forbidden for the believer. If you get any answers from that medium, it's not coming from God. The, this is the dark side of the equation. Well, the, the girl had some ability. She was able to tell people about the past, present, and future, probably amazed people with her gifts. And she was bringing her master's, notice, much profit by fortune-telling. 17. Following after Paul and us, says Luke, she kept crying out, saying, these men are bondservants of the Most High God who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. She continued doing this for many days. But Paul was greatly annoyed. Mark that in your Bible. It is biblical to be annoyed. And not just annoyed, greatly annoyed. So next time you're on the 91 and you get annoyed, just say, hey, it's a Bible verse. Paul was greatly annoyed. Why can't I be? Now, of course, Paul, it was a little bit more spiritual in Paul's case, right? He was annoyed at the girl's presence. He was annoyed at her continuing to say this. And so he turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out at that very moment and she was delivered. Now, this has always puzzled people. And scholars or commentators have different takes on what's going on here. Why would the girl possessed by a demonic spirit follow these missionaries around and say, these men are showing you the way of salvation. These men are showing you the way of salvation over and over, on and on, to the point where it annoyed Paul. Some people say, well, it's because God doesn't need the devil's endorsement. That's one major take on the passage to explain it. One view is the language could mean she says a way of salvation, not the way. And that's debatable. I think you could take it either way. Maybe she's preaching all roads lead to heaven. It doesn't really matter what you believe and trying to kind of thwart the gospel message. 
But that's not the way the scholars render it here in the New American Standard. You've been listening to The King's Power Over Darkness, Part 1 on Walk in Truth. That was Pastor Michael's teaching in Matthew 8, verses 28 through 34. You can email Pastor Michael with your questions you may have from his teaching today, or maybe you have a question about something else, or need encouragement, or prayer. Maybe you'd like to share how Pastor Michael's teachings have affected you. You can email Pastor Michael at contact at walkintruth.com. That's contact at walkintruth.com. And thanks for reaching out. You can also find our mailing address on walkintruth.com. Now, here's Pastor Michael with the final word. Hey, if you're brand new to the broadcast and you want to find out more about us, you can find out all you'd like to know about the ministry, how to pray, how to partner, walkintruth.com. That's walkintruth.com. So glad you're listening. Hey, share with a friend. You can also connect with us via podcast on all the major platforms. You can share these messages if you think this would help out a friend of yours. Walkintruth.com or look for us on all the major podcasting apps and share what you're hearing. God bless you. We'll see you right here tomorrow. And don't forget that Walk in Truth is a listener-supported ministry. We appreciate our Walk in Truth financial partners. You contribute to our ministry, broadcast, and podcast. As a thank you for your support, we've created the Walk in Truth app. If you'd like to become a Walk in Truth partner, any amount is appreciated. You can now give on the Walk in Truth app or visit walkintruth.com. And join us tomorrow for part two of Pastor Michael's teaching in Matthew 8, 28 through 34, called The King's Power Over Darkness. I'm Mike Massaro. On behalf of Pastor Michael Lance and Living Truth Christian Fellowship, thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people.